In the song we just sang, O Little Town of Bethlehem, in the first verse we get sort of the big picture of the song where it says, In thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And then the second verse gives us the why. It says, For Christ is born of Mary. Christ is the everlasting light. And uh, on this December 26, this is the last Sunday of this year. And I figured before we go back into our series in Matthew, I wanted to take one more week uh, sort of on the themes of Advent and look this morning at Jesus Christ, uh, the light. And I've, I've lit the candles uh, one more time, for, most of all, just because they're here, we might as well use them. I'm not sure if that one is going to make it. We'll see. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's my my timer for uh, for preaching this morning. When the candle burns out, it's time for me to go. So you may pray for the candle to burn quickly or slowly, depending on how you feel today. But uh, all joking aside, I want to look at Jesus Christ, the light. And uh, we didn't have a bulletin, but I did try to give you an uh, outline handout this morning. And you'll have that there. And you'll see that we're going to be in John chapter number one this morning. And I want to just start by reading John chapter one. We'll read one through 18. You can follow along uh, in your scripture as I read. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, and we'll dive into this scripture. Heavenly Father, thank you for these songs that we've sang. Thank you uh, that we can come to worship you. Thank you that you, Lord Jesus, the light of the world, stepped down into darkness. Thank you that the light the everlasting light was shining there in those streets of Bethlehem because you, Lord Jesus, were born that day as you came into this world. 
Thank you that you bring life and light to all who will believe. And as we examine this scripture, as we give one more week here, one more Sunday to this theme of Advent, you're coming, Lord Jesus. May we revel in it. May we glory in it. May it transform us and change us. May we not forget it. May it be our theme all the year long. But Lord, bless this time that we have now together. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Lord Jesus, would you be glorified? Oh God, uh, do your work among us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When we speak of light, we normally speak of light that we can see, that which comes from the sun, the stars, a flame, or our favorite one, the power grid. Um, we're all too familiar with the contrast of, of light and darkness in the physical realm. When the power goes out, the lights go out, and we wander around in the dark trying to find a flashlight or a candle or something or, or whatever. And uh, usually we end up doing something like bumping our elbow or stubbing our toe, and we have to hold our tongue. Yeah, even, even pastors have to hold their tongue uh, when we stub our toe in the dark of the night. And uh, John here uses this comparison between darkness and the light, something that we understand, that we can see with our eyes, but he uses it in a sense that is much deeper. For just as we stumble in the darkness physically when we cannot see, this also serves as a vivid display of what we are doing in the spiritual realm as well. Just as we stumble in the darkness, we also see that spiritually, We're stumbling. We're stumbling in the darkness. The wisest uh, man who ever lived apart from Jesus Christ, that is Solomon, said in Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Darkness is hindering in life. And without light, Surely nothing and no one would survive. I mean, think of it. Even even plants need light to survive. We need light to to see and thrive. Without light, we we would get malnourished. We would uh, we would have no vitamin D. We would uh, we would all be sick all the time. There's there's so much wrapped up in our vivid imagery of light and darkness, which is why it's such a big picture here. As John opens up his gospel record and speaks of the true light. John also wrote in another place in the, the epistle, 1 John chapter 2, he said this in verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John isn't the only one to use this comparison, though. Paul also used it in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This darkness, of course, is sin and the curse which was brought upon every man because of the first man, Adam. It's the curse that requires a remedy that's far beyond more mere effort, because all we can do is, again, stumble in the darkness. The the remedy of the darkness, of course, must be light. It requires an act of God himself. Friday night, we read from Luke 
2, 1 through 11, the Christmas story. And I want to read again just uh, a portion of it, uh, starting in uh, verse, well, let me start in verse 1. I'll read a few verses. In those days, Luke 2, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. In this all familiar passage, we have the account of the birth of our savior. And that account is the account of the true light coming into the world. The promise of the Old Testament that the Messiah would come was now being fulfilled. And this birth was more than just a mere man. It was more than just a, a human instrument that God would use. It was much more. Consider the words of Simeon that we've seen a couple times this Christmas season. He says, Lord, as after he's seen the baby Jesus, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant, your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Yes, this child was more than just a mere human. This was the light of God, the salvation of God in human flesh. And these words that we've read from John 1 this morning give sort of the behind the scenes details, not all the details, but things that we can grasp and comprehend the behind the scenes work of what Luke 2 means when Jesus came into the world. It gives us the behind the scenes information of the, the incarnation of God himself. And we know that the darkness of this world is great and the prince of darkness is powerful, but God is greater. And Jesus Christ, we'll see this morning, is the true eternal light that no darkness can overcome. Jesus Christ is a true eternal light that no darkness can overcome. Going back to John, we see first that the light exists eternally. If you go back to the first verse, it reads, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. As soon as we read those words in the beginning, no doubt if you're a Bible reader, your mind goes back to Genesis 1.1, where the power of God was put on display in unfathomable splendor. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But as John writes here in the beginning, no doubt he, he meant to trigger that memory in his readers' minds, but he really even goes back to a time before creation itself. Similarly, Mark starts his gospel record with the words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So in one sense, you could say Mark tells us of the beginning of the gospel. Moses told us about the beginning of what exists, but John tells us about the beginning before the beginning. John tells us that in the beginning, the word or the logos was with God and the word was God. And the question that immediately rises in this 
passage is who is the word or what is the word. Now, the Greek people that John was probably writing to many of them, uh, they use this term logos to refer to reason and speech, but deeper than that, they, they sometimes used it to refer to a, a principle that sort of controlled or ordered the universe, or some would even say the, the soul of the world. By this, of course, they were referring to an abstract principle. They, they didn't put a name on it. They just gave it a title and referred to it. And John here, sort of borrowing from that, but speaking, of course, of something much different and greater, he says, in the beginning was this logos or this word. And he says, the word was with God and the word was God. John understood the, the Greek concept of the logos to some degree, but he also knew very well the Hebrew understanding. You see, in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord was the expression of divine power and wisdom. Consider this statement from Psalm 33. We read it already this morning. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Surely this word is more than just an abstract principle, something to think about. Of course, from Reading ahead to verse 14 in this passage, we know that the word here that John referring to, John is referring to is Jesus Christ. And John was sort of presenting to his readers the idea that this word is the incarnation of the divine power and revelation of God himself. And beyond that, John is telling his readers and us as well today that this word or Jesus Christ is God himself. One commenter that I read from this week put it this way. I thought it was helpful, so I just want to read this quote. He writes, what do you think of Jesus Christ? Who is he? According to the Christian faith, this is the most important question you or anyone else will ever have to face. It's important because it's inescapable. You will have to answer it sooner or later. In this world or in the world to come, and because the quality of your life here and your eternal destiny depend upon your answer, who is Jesus Christ? If he was only a man, then you can safely forget him. If he is God, though, as he claimed to be, and as all Christians believe, then you should yield your life to him. You should worship him and serve him faithfully. John writes, the word was with God and the word was God. Something interesting about that little phrase where John says the word was with God. God. He's, he's not merely saying that God and this word were existing together or at the same time, but he uses a, a special phrase which means being face to face constantly. It gives the idea of, of God and Jesus Christ being in conversation, in, in discourse, as it were. It gives us a, a huge picture of the insight that Jesus Christ had as he not only existed eternally, but he was with God and he is God from all eternity, including beyond creation, beyond time as it exists now. Jesus Christ is forever, yesterday, today, and forever. The word was with God and the word was God. John doesn't uh, mince any words here telling us that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. This is really the theme of his whole gospel. All throughout the gospel of John, we see pictures and images and explicit statements saying that, yes, Jesus Christ is God 
incarnate. Now, some, uh, some groups of people throughout the years have attempted to change the meaning of this statement to, to say that Jesus Christ was a God or the word was a God or the word was divine. And many have been led astray by this, but this is against what God's word clearly teaches us, not just here, but in many other places as well. The, the, the fact that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, God come in flesh, God wrapped up in the flesh of a little infant, God carried in the womb of a, of a woman for nine months, God who had to grow up and learn how to speak and learn how to interact and, and learn the law and learn the ways of life. That was God in human flesh who humbled himself, as Dennis read earlier from Philippians 2, took on the form of a servant. Verse 2 says, he was in the beginning with God. In other words, the word, the logos, or Jesus Christ is not a created being, or he's not even a special creation meant to be the Messiah. Jesus Christ is God and was God and with God from eternity past. And of course, the Trinity is a mystery beyond human comprehension. We can never wrap our minds around it, but yet it's something that is taught in scripture that we can see and believe by faith. But know this, Jesus Christ was from the beginning. He was with God. He was God from eternity past. And he was God as he walked the dusty roads of Israel as a man in human flesh. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, says this. He has delivered us up from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And again, in Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two, we read long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You see this, Jesus Christ, this word, this logos was from the beginning, before the beginning. Not only was he there, but he himself created all that there is. And John tells us that as well, as we read in verse number four, it says, in him was life. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. We sing about this this time of year, don't we? Uh, Christ brings life and light to all. Uh, and this reference to Christ being life and bringing light is not simply a sentimental statement or a, a religious phrase that sounds good on a Christmas card. It's, it's a realization of the divinity of who Jesus is and the attributes that he has. Later on in the gospel, John writes in chapter five, verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, 
so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. What does that mean? Does that mean simply that he was alive? I don't think so, because other in other words, we would all have that same characteristic. We are alive, we're breathing, we're living, we're walking and moving beings, but no, it says that the Son has life in himself in the same way that the Father has life in himself. That is, God is self-existent. There's no other being in the created and the known universe that is self-existent, but Jesus Christ has life within himself. The word here is more than just a creation. He is indeed the creator. This is a theme that John will express many times and uh, one that begins to clue us in on the redemptive work of Christ. He starts here by saying, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And at the end of this wonderful book, he says in John 20, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus Christ, the divine word incarnate, has life in himself, and he gives light to all in creation, and he offers eternal life in salvation. Let's go on, though, and read verse number five. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John here is now speaking in the present tense. In other words, the, the work of this divine word incarnate is going on, and he says the, the light shines now in the darkness, and he says the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness that entered through sin and in the curse and the fall is deadly. It's, it's black, it's bleak, but it's not absolute. Only the light is absolute. Uh, the darkness is not just the lack of truth. The, the darkness is also the lie of deceit and unbelief. And the darkness, John says, has not overcome the light. Or you might have in your translation, uh, the dark has not comprehended it. That word means to, to grasp, to, to wrap around, but more emphatically, it means to seize or defeat. In other words, the darkness is bleak, but it has not and will not defeat the light, the eternal light that shines in the darkness. So this word is eternal. He is God. He is life and light. And this life and light is the light of men, the light that we all need. Secondly, we see that the light transforms miraculously. The light transforms miraculously. And here in this section, uh, this John begins to write about uh, another John, John the Baptist, of course. And he makes a little parenthesis here and tells us about his ministry. Let's, let's read again um, in verse number six and following. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. We could read about the, the prophecy of John the Baptist and his birth to Zechariah and Elizabeth. That itself was a miraculous thing because uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were older in years and had not yet had a child, let alone a son, yet it was promised to them. And that was this John that we read about here. And his whole purpose of existence 
was to bear witness about the true light, as we read here, which was Jesus Christ. In comparing John to Jesus, it's not a fair comparison, really. John was a man used by God, and Jesus was God himself. But John the man was, was still an amazing person and a righteous person who lived his entire existence preaching the truth of God, declaring the truth that the Messiah was coming, preparing the way for God to come. And it says here that John was not the light, but he told of the light, the true and transforming light. It says the true light was coming into the world. This is a miracle. This is the miracle that this light, the divine light came into the world to give light to all. It's not to say that each person has necessarily an inner light that if we simply follow it, that we might one day be redeemed, but rather is to say that the light of Jesus Christ came into the world and he is a light, which we all need. Jesus, the word, is the true light and to follow him is the way also to life. Romans 1, verses 18 and following read this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This writing by Paul gives us a picture of verses 10 and 11 in our scripture today, where it says he, the true light, Jesus Christ, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The true light is in the world. It is shining through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's evident to all who will see. And as Paul writes, it's clear in all creation that yes, there is a creator. There is a divine reality that we must come to terms with. And the fact is that we're not ignorant of it, but rather that we suppress it. We hide it, like putting a shade over a light so we don't have it glaring in our eyes. The true light is in the world. Yet the world does not all regard it, which is why we need those like John the Baptist who went to declare that light. And it's why we still declare today things like this passage from John 1, that Jesus Christ is the true eternal light. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he even came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The light, which is the one who created the very world he stepped into, yet the world did not and does not regard him. We see his attributes and his power. We see his creation and we even perhaps hear his gospel, but yet many still suppress the light that came into the world by Jesus Christ. And John even tells us that God's very people, that is the Jewish people, the people of Israel, saw him. He, he came to them, but they didn't receive him either. By and large, they rejected their Messiah. 
which is fitting because even Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Few find it. Few come to the true light, the light of men. Few see the word of God incarnate and the word of God written in the gospel and bow down. And that's not because they found a better way or an alternative routine outcome. No, it's because we are blinded by the darkness. This is reiterated again in John chapter 3, verse 19, where John says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. That is why we still declare the story and the meaning of Christmas. Uh, yes, it's tradition. Yes, it's, uh, it's enjoyable. Yes, it's heartwarming. But it's because Jesus Christ is the light that has come into the world. And people everywhere still need to see and believe in that light, the light that shines in the darkness. But not everybody must or has to or does continually walk in darkness. There is an alternative, the one that John speaks about here. There is the transforming power of this light, where verse 11 gives sort of a dismal picture of rejection. It says, uh, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Yet verse 12 gives a glorious picture of redemption, where it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Another commenter that I read, James Boyce, uh, put it this way. Of this scripture, it says, it reminds us here at the very beginning of the gospel, even before the account of the crucifixion and the resurrection, that the gospel of salvation by grace is offered freely to all men. And it points to the glorious privilege of those who receive it. And what is that privilege? We just read it. To all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That is everyone who receives this light, the light of Christ, who believe in his name, are made sons of God. And it's not just receiving it in an intellectual sense, and it's not simply asking him into your heart. It's seeing the true light, his claims, his deity, his offer, his message, both positive and negative, and grasping hold of that light of life. And this is echoed so beautifully in the uh, very familiar passage in John 3, where we read that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. How is one made a son of God? How is one given this eternal life? How is one taken from the darkness into light? Of course, it's by faith or believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as he came. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. A child of God, 
part of God's eternal covenant family, adopted into the household of faith, adopted into the household and the kingdom of the eternal ruler of the universe. What a miracle of all miracles. And it comes through the word of God incarnate, the light and life, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we see the light reveals God's grace and glory. The light reveals God's grace and glory. At this point, John brings back that that term, the, the word or the logos, and it's here that the incarnation of God's son is spoken of in the strongest sense, where verse 14 tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John could have easily said the word uh, became like flesh or he he looked like he had flesh, but the, the words he uses here is that the word became flesh. And it says he dwelt among us. Now, that's a powerful statement in itself. And it would have caused John's original readers to think of a couple different things. And the first thing they would have thought of is is the tabernacle. Uh, What would have been used, uh, the word that would have been used in the Greek Old Testament is used here. The word tabernacle uh, harkens back to the time in the Old Testament where God's people of Israel were journeying around. They were wandering and they carried with them the tabernacle for worship and sacrifice. And they also celebrated even till this time and even till today, the feast of tabernacles and the images God was dwelling there in that tabernacle. Yet here, God tabernacled with us in human flesh. It's a big picture. And secondly, they might've picked up on another phrase that, ties it in with the next verse because uh, we've we've no doubt all heard of the Shekinah glory of God. This was a popular term used by the rabbis in Jesus' day to refer to God's manifest glory or his dwelling glory, things like uh, the, the, the pillar of fire that led the children of Israel, things where God's glory was displayed in a visible sense. Well, John here says, we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So when John says, this is the word, who is God, become flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, he is saying to those who knew God's history with his people that God has taken on the flesh of a man. He has tabernacled with us in a person. He has revealed the Shekinah glory of God in a way that is unlike any other. We beheld his glory, John says, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I thought back to Exodus chapter 34 as I was thinking of this, and I read from Exodus 34, 5 through 7, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name The Lord, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This, of course, goes back to that that uh, count on the 
Mount Sinai, where God came down in that cloud, gave uh, Israel the law, and stood before them and proclaimed his name, the Lord, steadfast in love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yes, this Lord, Jehovah God, tabernacled in human flesh and dwelt among us. God revealed his visible glory, in a sense, in the world, in the person of Jesus Christ. But in that glory, it was was not just revealed the person of God, but also what was wrapped up in him, where John says he was full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received, verse 16, grace upon grace. Now, what does grace upon grace mean? Well, in one sense, it can mean grace and then more grace or, or just piling up grace, and that is certainly true, but it, it can also mean grace instead of grace. For indeed, God has revealed himself graciously in the old covenant as well. Even Paul said in Romans 7, what shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. If, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And then later he says, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And then again in Galatians 3, he said, so then the law was our guardian or our schoolmaster until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Surely the grace and truth of Christ does not negate the law of God as if The Old Testament was something entirely different, but rather, as we've already seen so vividly in Matthew and all throughout this Advent season, the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled that law, brought it to its intended purpose, showed us what it really looked like and accomplished what we could have never accomplished. And now we have grace upon grace in the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't come and say the whole law thing and holiness and righteousness. Yeah, that was a bad idea. We're going to do things differently now. No, he came and showed us what holiness and righteousness looked like and made a way for us to enter in to that standing before God. The law reveals who God is. It reveals what he likes and dislikes, as it were. It reveals a standard of righteousness. And most of all, it reveals our deep need of him. And that is precisely where the grace revealed in the person of Jesus Christ steps in. Now, instead of our righteousness having to be based upon our own keeping of the law, which we can never do, it's based upon the righteousness of Christ himself who has fulfilled and kept that law completely. If there has ever been a light in the darkness, it is this light of grace. If there has ever been a light in the darkness, it has been this light of grace and truth through Jesus Christ. For from his fullness, verse 16, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God, or that is the Son of God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Christ, 
as we've seen him in this Advent season, a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes is more than just an expression of a, of a religious sentiment, more than just a holiday tradition that as we set out our nativity scene. No, the baby in the manger serves to deepen the depth of the magnitude of this on incarnation, that God in human flesh was wrapped up in that infant, coming to be light and life for all who will believe, bringing grace upon grace, grace and truth in revealing God to those of us who are in the darkness. He has brought grace and truth. He has brought a light for the nations, for people like you and I to come to faith in him, salvation for those condemned, grace of the gospel for those who are wandering aimlessly in the darkness, those who know that we need something, that something is Jesus Christ. Christ, who is the true and eternal light, that no depth of darkness can overcome. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the word. You are the light. You are life to those who believe. We have seen your light. We have seen your life, Lord. We thank you for it. We have seen the, the miracle of your incarnation, how you stepped down into this dark world, who how you, you willingly laid aside the fullness of your attributes and took on the form of a servant and even becoming obedient to death on the cross. But now you are exalted, Lord Jesus. You are Lord of all. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. So may we, while we're on this earth, live and rejoice and exalt in you, O Lord. May we proclaim who you are and what you've done. May we live according to what you've taught us, that we might let our light shine before others and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Now, as we close this Advent season, as we begin prepare to enter into another year, may these themes ring throughout our mind and our heart all year long. May we live for you, love you, serve you, as we live and serve others as well. We pray this. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.